Hi, this is Paul Siegel. You're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs is broadcast live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv slash wanderingdms and youtube.com slash wanderingdms slash live. And now, on with the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul. And I'm Dan. And on this episode of Wandering DMs, we're going to be talking about Wild West RPGs. You know, some experts say that the Wild West genre was the very first RPG, arguably. So we're wondering, how did that legacy affect D&D and other role-playing games that came later? All that and more today on Wandering DMs. I'm so excited for this, Paul. Yeah, me too. Me too. It's interesting because I've never really thought that critically about the fact that this really is like the the I guess the number two setting for art for RPGs that that or or no, possibly number one. Uh, possibly number one. My my head always goes to sci-fi really quickly, but I guess uh, we were discussing this just prior to the show, and I guess um, it, it took a while, right, for sci- for a purely sci-fi RPG to hit the hit the uh, shelves. Right. It's kind you of surprising of how how many years, yeah. Sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, Planet and Sword and Planet uh, uh, gaming was in there. And it right. took a surprising number of years to get a spacefaring, you know, Star Wars-y, Star Trek-y type, type game in the mix. And other stuff <laughs> came first, like Wild West. Wow. So I, actually, I got to thank our patrons, Paul, for uh, this is another topic that came up in our Sunday conversation uh, post-show, actually, on our Discord server. So big thanks to our patrons for uh, bringing this up. Like, as usual... Kind of like a fish in the water it's not something i would have thought of myself um yeah. but uh, and they and the other thing is i i actually tripped up it's interesting because i tripped up over the terminology a little bit initially i was calling this episode western rpgs and a number of people were confused thinking that i was contrast that we're going to contrast this with uh uh like japanese rpgs or something like that um Mm-hmm. And I had to, I had to, I had, right. And I had to, sw- I had to switch the naming so I wasn't confusing people accidentally. So that was kind of interesting. Oh, and they were, and of course, the comment was like, "Don't you guys just talk about Western RPGs all the time? Aren't, aren't you always <laughs> talking about American RPGs? What, how is this any different?" So I had to, I had to fix that. And thank you for people for pointing out the uh, the vocabulary issue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. hmm. <laughs> Maybe maybe we should do an episode at some point about uh, non-American uh, RPGs. Um, fascinating. Gonna gonna write that I, that one. I'll have to do more research on. Frankly, to be perfectly yeah, honest, yeah. but I'm but I'm yeah. writing it down. Yeah, <laughs> for for Wild West setting, you know, um, I, I I was surprised to realize that I actually do have some some background in this. Um, not in not in the classic one that we're that we're probably all of our old school viewers are thinking, which of course is Boot Hill, um, you know, sort of your classic uh, TSR game that came out. Um, my my background is more actually in the game Deadlands, which I played very early in its uh, in its lifespan. Uh, I was just I was just at my bookshelf pulling out the original Deadlands book to re- try and remind myself when the heck did this game even come out, and the answer was 1996. So I was uh, surprised that it was that early. Um, I guess a little surprised, but not really because I remember playing it in college. So interesting. Uh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. 
What do you want to talk about so, first? You want to dig into Boot Hill? You want to take in, dig into Deadlands? And then and maybe let's, after let's that, have, we can dig into some other games that people have taught, told us about recently. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's talk about Boot Hill because, I mean, might as well go chronologically, right? Um, although I, I can't say yeah. that. I'm, I'm going to lean on you on this one, Dan, because I don't really have much experience with Boot Hill. My got my second edition book here in pretty good shape, actually. The box, my box yeah. is gone. Uh, but Did, yeah, I, yeah, I played Boot Hill maybe about a year, two in a can as a player mostly in a campaign. Um, you know, I think when I was like in junior high school or something like that. Um, and uh, yeah, historically, and so I'm familiar with what's technically the second edition of the game. There was a first edition of the game that was very, very minimalist. Uh, there was just a booklet. And then they had a second edition that came out in a box with a big map, came with dice. Actually, it came with these dice, as a matter of fact. So I got these, um, right, it's percentile dice, and this is the era before the D10 was invented. So it was still coming with, um, you know, D20s that just had uh, zero to nine twice on them. You can see that these are very well-used dice. <laughs> They're pretty close to round at this point. Um, and, you know, historically, right, D&D came out in 1974, right? And then there was also the little-known Warriors of Mars game and then uh, Empire of the Petal Throne the next year that we were talking with James Malajewski about last week, and then Boot Hill. So all within the first year, those were the first four games, at least from TSR, was D&D Warriors of Mars based on the Burroughs John Carter books and EPT and then Boot Hill. So right in the first couple months, this was one of the main games. So I, I liked it. You know, obviously, it's got a more historical vibe to it. And in the second edition book, they have, they have like a large appendix of the statistics of real world historical people in the Wild West, actually, going for at least five or six pages of that stuff. Nice. Um, so there's a, lot of re there's a lot of historical stuff. The, you know, the weapons list is a very long list of firearms with you know how many rounds are in it the range the date that it became available so you would set your campaign of like are you 1865 or are you 1875 because actually that's going to change the equipment available a lot um so so of course this was in the moment right where they when this when boot hill was originally made this was in the moment when they were still making this shift from war games Right. So initially, D and D is advertised as a war game. Uh, Boot Hill First Edition is basically a war game that happens to be where you're just controlling one person at a time. And they had again, they hadn't come up with the word, the, the phrase "role playing" until Second Edition. You can see on the box cover here. So it, it very much starts off as a war game. Yeah. I suppose that's that's what what modern gamers would refer to as sort of a squad based. Uh, war game where you're probably like emulating shootouts and stuff between small smaller groups rather than like big. I'm assuming, and you tend to correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming it's you know not like giant formations of units moving across. We're not we're not recreating Gettysburg, right? We're recreating the shootout at OK Corral. Super well put, super well put, and and the shootout at the OK Corral is in fact one of the two scenarios in this book, actually. Scenario number one is you're going to refight the, the OK Corral fight. And in fact, a couple years before that, uh, there's a letter in a fanzine by Gary Gygax that says, boy, I really like this Western game, but I really wish we could simulate the gunfight at the OK Corral. Can we do that with this? Can we do that? So <laughs> arguably, the whole, the whole point of Boot Hill <clears throat> was actually to simulate specifically that gunfight. 
and they have it in the book. Interesting. So ex exactly, exactly that kind of skirmish level, maybe five or six people on a side, totally that. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Neat. So when, so you played, uh, you said you played uh, some number of sessions of this game? Yeah. Uh, back yeah, in the day? Probably a campaign that ran about a year, maybe, or something like that. Interesting. Interesting. And, what, uh, was the, what was the thrust of the campaign, if you can remember? Okay, the thrust of the campaign was mostly me. <laughs> Gee, you'll never guess this. <laughs> was mostly me uh, as the head of a uh, evil bandit gang uh, terrorizing <laughs> the local town. <laughs> and um, uh, myself and two friends were running the, uh, the Jones gang. And pretty much every other player in the campaign was trying to stop us, uh, mostly fruitlessly. <laughs> so, you know, a real stretch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so wait, every other, how many people were playing the campaign? I feel like it was about 10 or a dozen, I think, totally, right? And, and you had, um, you had antagonistic so players at the table. You had, like, different, you know, kind of subdivided groups. Well, this is interesting. I'm glad you're asking this because yeah, actually yeah, this is yeah. a thing I wouldn't I wouldn't have thought about. But we were, uh, you know, so we were in, I think, junior high school or something like that. And so we would connect, you know, we I don't think the dozen of us ever got together all at once. Right. So it was actually in school. And generally speaking, like at lunch, we would contact the referee and say, here's what my characters are doing this week. Uh, I'm going to rob a stagecoach. I'm going to guard the bank. I'm going to go gamble at the at the hotel. And then only if, you know, antagonistic characters wound up at the same place, then we'd sit down at lunch and, and run the gunfight. Fascinating. That's, I mean, it's almost a little, almost kind of play by mail esque, right? Like, um, or, or it really feels like a, like a miniatures war game, right? Like that's very reminiscent mm -hmm. to me of, mm -hmm. um, when you and I worked together, uh, in the, in the early aughts. Um, we, we, I think there was, uh, someone in the office running a, uh, Warhammer campaign and the gist was, uh, that we were, um, we, you know, each person had an army and there was a map and there was context for like what the, the, the land that we're fighting over and, you know, I maybe shoot emails or something about what our plans were. And then eventually like, oh, a fight happens. Now you actually have to come, you know, schedule and come play a game. Uh, yeah. Interesting. I mean, I it seems it doesn't seem very RPG-ish to me, frankly. Well, like I say, you know, they were kind of finding their way out of you know miniature war game, and I think that I think when the early guys used the word campaign, that's what they meant, right? They meant a yeah. they meant they, they meant a war game campaign where you're you're right. you're you know initially trying to take over territory in a Napoleonic uh, context or something like that. Hmm. Um, but you weren't playing D and D like this around the same time, were you? That's a great question. No, that's a great question. You know, now now the book sort of supports that, right? So yeah. for the first yeah. edition Boot Hill book is just like here's and it's very miniatures heavy, right? It's it's things are you know stipulated. The ranges are stipulated in terms of inches or spaces on the tabletop. Um, it's very miniature centric. Um, the uh, so the the first edition game was just how to run a miniatures gunfight, and then the second edition expanded the book with ideas for campaigns and more or less what we were doing was pretty much was, was just described in the book. So I don't think we were getting too creative about it, but it comes, the second edition game comes with a big, have it right here, big campaign map of what they're, what they call El Dorado County, right? Um, unlabeled, 
it, notice that there's no there's no words on this map, right? So so the idea was you you actually have to place the towns and the ranches and whatever else of interest, um, and then you make this county campaign your own. Um, and we were we were following suit with that, like you said, like you were saying before we started today. Um, you know, unlike D and D, there's mostly there's mostly no dungeons to go in and plunder. So yeah. you have to use some kind of outdoor campaign site to move around and make things happen. Well, interestingly, I find like like one of the reasons I think that it's so obvious that you would want to use OK Corral as your as your setup is when I think of like classic Western stories, whether, you know, and, and the many film adaptations thereof, right? A lot of classic Westerns are uh, about a single protagonist, right? They're, they're usually about loners, right? Which doesn't really fit the, the setup for a role-playing game, right? Like usually most role-playing games are about teams or squads that are going out to do stuff together. Whereas the OK Corral is the one story I can think of where you have this group, right? You have the Earps and mm -hmm. you have Doc Hollywood and you have kind of this, a team that is operating as a team, sort of, right? Doc Holliday, yeah. And Doc Holliday, what did I say? Doc right. Hollywood? Yeah. That's a, that's a movie. Very close, okay. you're so anyway. close. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, anyway, so, so that's, that's fascinating to me. I never even really honestly thought about this more sort of uh, strategic level play uh, where you're playing big, big movers and potentially doing stuff against each other. Again, my my main experience of playing Wild West RPGs comes much later in the 90s uh, when I started playing Deadlands. And the way Deadlands is presented is it's an RPG uh, set in the Wild West. Lots of the historical figures absolutely come to play, right? That's a big deal. Um, but then there's an extra twist of there's something supernatural going on and it's a weird mystery and the players need to figure it out. Right. So you kind of the arc you're expected to play in the original Deadlands is we're playing like typical Wild West kind of stuff, but then something spooky happens and we see these weird things going on and there's this mystery. And now we need to band together to figure out what the heck's going on because uh, it's, it's, it's really changing the world and, 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 and weird stuff is happening. Um, and the book's very much set up that way. Right. Like the book even will intentionally not tell you up front what the weird thing is. Right. The, the way the book is written, like the players are not supposed to read past a certain point because they're not supposed to know the secret thing. Right. It's supposed to all be this classic. You know, exciting... Don't read the Don't read the DM yeah. section. That's prohibited. Right. Classic. Right. Right. But it's just very interesting to me that like you're talking about something that's basically intrinsic to the setting. Right. And, and when you had when I tried to explain the setting to people about Deadlands, I'm like, well, it's Wild West, but there's a supernatural element. But I can't tell you what it is. Right, right. <laughs> so that's interesting, right? I don't know. I feel like most most RPGs, when you pitch them, you talk about the setting and you just give them the overarching thing of the setting, and you you dig into details. Where Deadlands, you are specifically, you know, kind of supposed to not tell people, right? And I feel like this is sort of the era of like, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm going to get this wrong, but uh, like I think new shows like um, maybe Lost or X Files were on, where like you're you're, I believe it's. My my read of these these games was that they're trying to emulate the style of television, essentially, where each episode introduces more unanswered questions, and who knows what's going on? Will we ever discover the truth? I don't know. Right. 
Um, anyway, that's, uh, oh, I, I totally forgot to actually put the uh, Deadlands image up. Anyway, uh, there you go, Deadlands. Uh, interesting thing about the uh, footnote about Deadlands, of course, I, I enjoyed the crap out of this in like the, the mid 90s, so like right around when it came out around 90s, 96, 97. Um, played a big campaign of it. Um, Deadlands would eventually evolve. Uh, they would extract the rules out of Deadlands into the generic RPG system of Savage Worlds. And then eventually they would re-release Deadlands Reloaded, which is the setting book for uh, Savage Worlds that is the Deadlands world of, of Wild West plus Supernatural stuff, which is kind of a funny circle, I think, in my head. <laughs> nice. Um, you know, one thing I well, want to relate, though, one... is... Yeah. yeah, go, <laughs> go ahead. Well, I mean, exactly I, so I played one, one session, right, of Deadlands, and, and I found that to be a very attractive uh, concept, frankly. Um, mm. And uh, maybe you can remind me uh, what the mechanics were like. The main thing that I, I really liked... I really liked that they used cards. What for for the action sequence, if I recall, um, a couple of and I and I and I, and I got it, yeah. got it. And I personally, I really like when you know the physical artifacts are an echo of the things in the game. And I've always liked the fact that in D anD D, the wizard players have to have a big book and have to be leafing through an actual book to keep track of their what their spells do. Yeah. And similarly, I really like the fact that I sat down for a game of Deadlands and the randomizing element was largely cards like you'd be using at a poker game in a saloon. Yeah, you had, you, had, um, you had cards. You also specifically had a character type called the Huckster, which was sort of your magic user of the setting who was able to uh, evoke magical effects through card play um, and had to use a deck of cards to invoke their magic. And so specifically, they, the mechanic was to have a deck of cards at hand that they were leafing through, and the goal was to form a good poker hand. The spell was more powerful, the, the, the stronger of a poker hand you had. Um, and then also, I believe, um, uh, chips were used. Uh, poker chips were a, a, a mechanic, right. another mechanic used in the game. Uh, Deadlands was actually fairly crunchy, I think, compared to eventually what Savage Worlds would become. Savage Worlds felt to me very much like a simplification. You know, I like that. I like simplifying rules, but I do feel like it lost some of the edge of Deadlands of how tied the rules were to the setting, which of course makes sense, right? Because they were trying to genericize the rules to use in other settings. So, yeah. of course, that's going to happen. But um, personally, I think if I was going to go back and run another game of Deadlands, I would be more inclined to run classic Deadlands than to say run Deadlands Reloaded using Savage Worlds. Interesting, interesting. I think I, I think I might lean in the same direction. It's tough when you try to you know scrape the skin off and make a generic, make something generic that wasn't to begin with. I agree that frequently the that seems like the first edition had more raw meat to it for for probably Deadlands and a bunch of other games too. Now, I wanted, I, what I wanted to add to your uh, anecdote of, of having played Deadlands, of course, was that I was DMing that game. And what you've just told me about playing Boot Hill now gives me such an interesting context in which to view that Deadlands game. Because as I recall, we had characters making, we had players who made characters who in a traditional Wild West setting are going to be a little antagonistic to each other, right? We had uh, a railroad worker and uh, a, a uh, a cowboy and um, a, a Native American warrior, right? And so we, we had these groups who were like, you know, just they were going to be potentially antagonistic to each other. 
And I was presenting content of like, okay, there's this weird stuff going on. You're going to have to maybe investigate like what's yeah. going down at the mine, and like, and like, no, I'm sure it's just ghost stories. But no, it turns out no, really, something something spooky and mysterious is going on. But the players seem to much prefer to dig into let's fight each other and let's beat the crap out of each other because we don't trust each other. <laughs> and as I recall, that game went completely off the rails, and the the content presented by Deadlands uh, by the Deadlands adventure I was trying to run was just swept to the side as the players decided to just uh, screw around with each other. <laughs> I had got, I, I had honestly gotten hazy over exactly what happened in that session. As a matter of fact, um, yeah. and, and, and to be clear, and to be clear, I wasn't playing any one of those characters that Paul just mentioned. I was actually playing an 1800s veterinarian, um, uh, which I thought was a, which I thought was a clever twist, but didn't tie into the other characters super duper well. So in hindsight, I'm like, yeah, maybe that wasn't the best choice. I mean, um, none of the characters tied into each other, and somehow we had missed the expectation of you guys are going to work together to solve a mystery. Like that, we lost sight of that, and it more just became sandbox Wild West world. Let's beat each other up. I think, okay, I honestly feel like this was in a phase of our player group, like figuring that out, honestly, for both. <laughs> D&D and other games like Deadlands. And I think that within the next year or two, it, which is, you know, about 30 years into my gaming experience, I was like, you know what? There should be a policy whereby the players kind of find reasons to work together regardless of what their character idea was. Yeah, that's a really, wow, what a novel idea. I'm glad I came up with that, I said to myself. So oh, slow. <laughs> Yeah. You should say yes. You should say yes to the other characters' decisions and work as a group. Work as a group. Yeah. 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 Fascinating. Yeah. But I would say, you know, frankly, uh, a setting like Wild West is less likely to encourage that kind of play, right? I mean, it's the Wild yeah. West, right? We're supposed yeah. to be looking out for number one and, and there's no laws to govern us and we're going to shoot each other and that's so be it. So I almost, I almost think the kind of campaign you're talking about from Boot Hill maybe works better, where the players are going to do whatever the heck they want, and they're potentially going to become antagonistic towards each other, and that's fun. It's interesting that this the the shift there is, you know, if you look at uh, Dave Arneson's Blackmore game, from what we understand about it, right? Th this this shift from you know actual war gamey campaigns where the players are potentially antagonistic to each other and trying to beat each other. Right there's there is this awkward moment where you're you're shifting to the Lord of the Rings style uh, party of contrasts working together, um, yeah. and it's interesting that this early point. I mean, in some sense, it takes a lot of effort away from the referee of like, okay, you made your play, you, you players, you made your characters, you tell me what you do, and I'm going to tell you when you're in conflict. That's basically the, that's the that's the enorm that's the entirety of me running a campaign versus <laughs> the the dm having to craft scenarios and episodes and interesting encounters to take control of all of the bad guys which is you know arguably more work yeah i mean it's it's i feel very conflicted about this because the the content of deadlands uh is very appealing to me i love this idea of we're going to play in this historical setting and we're going to dig into that for a little bit but then we're going to discover something weird is going on and there's a mystery to solve I enjoy that. That sounds fun to me. Um, that said, I think the problem with Deadlands and pr frankly, much of the Savage Worlds content that I started digging into around the early aughts 
um, was uh, that it got very railroady, right? A lot of the content I was reading, they, they had this mm -hmm. whole concept of, of plot point paths, right? And they were trying really hard to craft content that was not gonna necessarily railroad the players, right? You can do this stuff in any order and you can mix and mash it up, but still all these things have to happen. And, yeah. and, and yeah. the plot must unfold, right? And I was like, yeah, there's a real push-pull there for me of, I'm not sure, like, it would be nice if it if it run, if it rolls out the way that the authors were hoping it would, but I feel like they're, you're gambling. There's a good chance it just all falls to pieces and you don't get the quite the experience you were hoping for. You know, at least one of our patrons has said, you know, and, and other people point this out, the, the idea, you know, D&D's idea of having a dungeon, right, at least limits the amount of content that the DM has to make, is you're literally constrained by the physical structure mm -hmm. and you're yep. designing a space that's at least finite. And when the players go into it, most of the time, uh, you know, they've got two or three tunnels to take. Those are the choices. If you, yeah. and, and, and at least one of our patrons has said that they've had somebody else that was playing other role-playing games and then came to D&D, played their first dungeon fairly late in their experience, and had this light bulb mo moment of, oh, this makes so much sense. This makes so much sense to focus what our choices are and in a very <clears throat> concrete space, <clears throat> pardon me, um, and that, that that actually made for a very nice campaign actually constricting the choices. When you remove that and you throw the game into the wide world, like the, the entire Wild West and the players can go anywhere, you kind of do suddenly have this problem where the, the referee has to find other reasons to constrain how much content they're actually making. Because if you yeah. can actually say, just go anywhere you want in the Wild West and tell me what you do, that's an almost unbearable uh, load for the DM. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. And then I think you, you by contrast, you then see some, some content coming out. I'm trying to remember where I saw this, but like, I'm reminded of a game that was a sci-fi game whose gist was that you were um, asteroid miners or, or people hired by the asteroid mining company to go deal with problems. And so you're flying around in your, in your sci-fi you know, uh, spaceship and you land on an asteroid and you go into the mines. And I'm like, and so it's become a dungeon crawl, right? Like it is <laughs> dungeons in outer space is what it becomes. Um, and I'm like, like, eh, that's interesting. It's funny. It's weird. I don't know. Does it feel a little forced? But maybe it's really good, frankly. Maybe it's really good because it lets you explore all those sci-fi tropes, but still be in the constraint of you're in a dungeon. There's tunnels. They go left and right. Which way do you want to go? It's interesting. I totally wrote a scenario for the uh, for the sci-fi Star Frontiers game that was almost exactly what you just described. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. You know, but but the downside is that you do, you do run into these like railroady type plot situations, and I agree with you. They kind of grind my gears the same way. So do we have that for Wild West? Is there a, is there a Wild West in the dungeon game out there? Well, um, I, I don't know a particular game. So uh, for what it's worth, uh, Boot Hill 2nd Edition did have a series of modules that they, uh, you know, adventure modules that they made, maybe about half a dozen after the fact. And uh, I, did, I did throw up one image. One of them is called the Lost Conquistador Mine, I believe is what the name of it is. So here's the, uh, and, and, you know, interestingly, again, 85% of this adventure is in the outdoors. So 85% mm -hmm. of it is a wilderness adventure trying to find the lost conquistador mine. Um, and then, uh, okay, spoilers, uh, sorry. 
uh, to a 40 year old adventure module. Um, uh, so at, at some point you do actually, you know, hopefully if things go right, you do actually find the mine and then it does in fact actually sort of turn into a dungeon crawl as a matter of fact, not a huge one. Um, but, uh, I think that was like the second adventure module for boot hill. And it, you know, that has the feel of a lot of, uh, D and D modules, like in the expert series, right. Where you've, you've got a, the first half is a wilderness adventure to find the, the, the lost temple. And then the second half is the actual temple or something like that. That's actually how a lot of D and D adventures are being made at the time. Sure, sure. I mean, and conversely, we've done we've tried to take D and D in the other direction when we talk about wilderness adventures and uh, the the stuff you've done with uh, outdoor spoliation, right? Where you're like, "Yep, it's it's not a dungeon, specifically not a dungeon. It's a big open yeah. world, yeah. crawl around on a map." Yeah. Yep. Have we done? Wait, sorry. <laughs> now now <laughs> it's coming to me, Dan. I mean, you yeah, need <laughs> you need the outdoor survival board, right? Outdoor survival board, but we're going to change the, what the icons are into towns and mines and, you know, I don't know what else exists in the Wild West, uh, <laughs> farms, what have you. Yep. There ranches. You yep. yep. Ranches. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Right? That's well, I mean, that's more or less what they right. That's more or less what they gave you. Right. I mean, interestingly, they gave <laughs> you this this map, right, with nothing labeled on it, just like outdoor survival doesn't have anything labeled on it. Um, you go. So to a large extent, right, that's what they were trying to... Now, th frankly, I will say the map's not as nearly as interesting as the outdoor survival map, actually. The outdoor survival has all kinds of little details and corners and cranks and interesting, you know, uh, barriers. And this is kind of like a, more realistic, frankly, but a lot of large open nothingness uh, to, to a large degree. So, um, which is another thing that, uh, that we wrestle with. Which one's more interesting, realistic topography or interesting fantasy topography? Yeah. Yeah, I guess really the latter is what I've come to. Now I will well, say this. this. Okay, so yeah, one of the one of the things with you know with the Wild West um, genre is uh, you know how heavily do you make it historical, right? So I I was attracted to Boot Hill with their fairly high attention to historical figures and places and the specific dates that different firearms came into existence, right? It's like if you're in playing 1875, you have these guns, but you don't have these guns. Um, and the adventure modules likewise um, try to lean pretty heavily into, you know, what the Wild West really was. I get that. Reading through some of those adventure modules recently, I, you know, a lot of people I think would be unwilling to play them because you know, the setting has so much misogyny and racism, you know, built into it by default, because that's what the Wild West was. So mm -hmm. the characters and the towns, right, the, you know, it's all run by men, women don't really have any say in what's going on. Uh, particular Native American tribes are held out as purely hostile. And the, the US Army purely hostile against the Native Americans. So, um, and the, and the other thing with the genre is that, of course, it's fairly what, you know, some of our commenters right now in the live chat, were like how many, you know, gunfights between man on man on man on man are going to be super interesting, right? You have a fairly thin uh, monster manual, I guess, I guess is what I'll say. Um, so you can kind of see why the fantasy genre has, is much more open-ended with much more deep things. You can change the world, you can change the context, you can you know, fine tune what elements you appreciate. You can have a lot of fantastical monsters. Whereas the Wild West genre, yeah, you, you're gonna be fighting basically people and you have, a, you have about 2% uh, 
of the depth of content that you had doing something like fantasy. Um, so I, you know, we, we played for about a year, which I think was good. I'm not, we, you know, we were talking to James Malachewski last week about him running a seven year campaign. We know some people that say they've been running 20 year campaigns. I'm not sure that I'm not sure you could hold out like a Western game running that long. I'm not sure if that would be feasible. I, I feel like possibly you've just outlined like Dan's theory on the origins of steampunk. <laughs> <laughs> like very there thus steampunk <laughs> right. i mean that's what i well, like about deadlands sense, frankly right? yeah yeah it yeah. has it has is yeah limited monster manual but in deadlands we get zombies and monsters and all kinds of horrible weird things to encounter um and it's fun playing in a setting where those weird things are on the fringes and you come back to town and the people are highly skeptical of the nonsense that you say you claim right. to have encountered uh, is, right. is enjoyable. Um, <laughs> I consider that uh, yeah. move very Liberian is what I call that. The, li the very Liberian or Vancian mode of you go see something supernatural and the people back in town just don't believe you is very, or even your characters don't believe it either. The characters themselves actually encountered it and make up reasons why that was, that was fake. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it makes a lot of sense, right? It makes a lot of sense to bring in like, you know, deep to expand it and bring it in deeper. And I'll just make a little bit of a tangent is that, uh, you know, very, very early on, um, you know, Gygax and friends were doing the same thing with their Boot Hill and their D&D games, right? And um, they were mixing it up. And we've, we've talked other days about, uh, you know, throwing your characters to a, another dimension, which is actually another game campaign, actually. Right. And they were doing that very frequently. Um, there is uh, and, and a little okay, a little bit of history. Right. So when when TSR was initially founded to publish D&D, right, there were three founders. There was Gary Gygax, there was Brian Bloom and there was Don K, three friends. And unfortunately, within the year of D&D being published, Don K passed away, um, which was a, a big, big blow to the business. And arguably, as a result, the majority control actually fell to the Blooms. And uh, ultimately, that's why Gygax was actually lost control of the company, kicked out. And if if Don Kay had, had lived a longer time, probably the story of the business of TSR would be radically different from what it turned out to be, as a matter of fact. But Don Kay was obsessed with the Wild West. Don Kay loved the Wild West. That was his, that was his favorite... Um, role-playing genre, actually. To my understanding, he really pushed the creation of the Boot Hill rules, really pushed for that to be the next game that TSR published. And he had a character in uh, Gygax's Greyhawk campaign named Merlin, who was a wizard and would routinely travel back and forth between the D&D world and the Boot Hill world. And so Boot Merlin would actually wind up in the Greyhawk D&D campaign, a wizard dressed as a Wild West fighter carrying six guns and walking around routinely shooting the monsters with six shooters instead <laughs> of his spells, right? And you can, and Merlin is, you know, shows up in the Greyhawk books in exactly that way. And of course, Gygax has to make a rule. Well, he has a special aura, right? You just, you can't just take his six shooters away and use them. He's got a special aura that allows him to use gunpowder and things like that. But Don K was so, so, uh, uh, committed to Wild West play that even his D&D &D wizard ultimately became a Boot Hill fighter. That's funny. 
So they've got right. So very early on, they've got uh, when when it was more common to mix and match the games, right? They have conversion rules, right? So <laughs> my second edition Boot Hill has the very the very last page here has conversion rules on how to convert your Boot Hill characters to Dungeons and Dragons, right? And here's the two hit changes and how the you're going to do saving throws oh. and all that kind of stuff. Out of curiosity, Dan, which because again, my 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 Wild West gaming all revolves around Deadlands, where clearly they were trying to invent their own system. Um, how how close to D&D mechanically is Boot Hill? Not whatsoever. Complete, not completely whatsoever. not related in almost any way whatsoever. Yeah. Um, they, do have, uh, they do have ability scores, right? In fact, okay. I have an image of that. I've got Boot Hill. It's got like two, two tables on it. <laughs> um, is it perhaps this one? That's the giant list of uh, historical figures, actually. Um, uh, so if you can find one that's got two tables, one above the other, that's it. Okay, so here's two go. of the initial ability score tables. You've got six abilities. I think they're speed, accuracy, bravery, strength, which is really hit points, actually, and then experience. And you can see it's rolled with percentile dice. And um, you can see, like on the lower table under uh, under accuracy, right? Um, you have a you have a roll percentile dice. You get a description for your accuracy, like fair or good or very good. And then you have an ability score that's like maybe minus three or plus seven or plus ten. And so uh, the mechanics of um, combat are that you have a fifty percent chance to hit, modified by your ability score there. So mm -hmm. if I have very good accuracy, my 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 base percentage to hit is going to be like sixty percent, plus some other modifiers <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, and you you roll your percentile dice, and of course you try to roll low under the indicated percent to hit. So that's obviously different dice, different abilities, actually upside down versus standard D and D mechanics, um, and it's very 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 different. So the conversion rules have to really bend. The mechanics a lot. I think if you transfer to D and D, they just kind of wave their hands and go, "Uh, now you're a second level fighter." <laughs> and you and if, you, if there's other ability scores, you better roll for them, I guess. Um, and then you just start using D and D rules basically, and they have to have, uh, you know, totally different rules for damage. So in Boot Hill, there's a wound chart. I don't know if you can pull that up. It's like going to be one small table. I feel like that oh, might be uh, interesting, actually. Uh, kind of one small yeah, yeah. yeah. so here's go. the wound chart right you get shot um and then you roll percentile dice for location mm -hmm. left leg left shoulder or head and then once you figure that out you roll percentile dice to see whether you have a light wound a serious wound that reduce your strength or you're just immediately dead so any character of any experience level right you might get shot in the head and if i roll 50 after that then you're just instantly dead um, and that's, I think we agree, very different from standard D&D. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so very, I, very different. I, yeah, 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 definitely. That's, I mean, definitely mechanically and the kinds of dice you're rolling and the kinds of stats you have definitely look, seem, seem very different. I mean, it's not to say that there aren't plenty of instances in D&D &D where uh, you could die on a single die roll, but... Um, Generally, not straight up combat, I suppose. Not not your yep. not your normal combat, but 
don't know, save or die, certainly a thing. <laughs> sure. Yeah, um, that's true. That's true. Hmm, hmm, hmm. You, I mean, I think we agree. Usually in D and D, at least once you get to a particular level, right? You're you're more you're more robust, and a standard fighter is not going to come up and immediately kill you most of the time. But in Boot Hill, that's always a possibility, no matter how much experience you get. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So so it's interesting how willing they were to have right completely customized mechanics for different games depending on the genre. And then if you get thrown into the other campaign, they basically just could scrub the whole thing away and go, well, now you're playing with completely different mechanics and that's what we do. There's one detail that I cannot help but point out. I pointed out, I think on Twitter the other day. So there's a, um, can you pull up the, I have an image of the conversion rules actually. And it's got it's got a table at the bottom. It's mostly text, and there's a table at the bottom. Uh, perhaps it's this one. Yeah, no. right there. Yeah. Okay. So I got yep. It's totally that. So there's a slice of the conversion rules. You can see in that table at the bottom, right? The weapons all just turn into D and D style damage. So mm -hmm. you know, like like other handgun in Boot Hill, you'd go to that table and have a pretty good chance of just immediately killing somebody. In D and D, a six shooter now just does one D eight damage. Which is a big, hmm. big difference in, in capacity. It's it's but it's really thing, odd, and I remember that. I feel like that's like any time I've I've dealt with a fantasy game trying to introduce you know guns, you know black powder or, yes. or any yes. anything like that. There's always this problem, this discrepancy where some players are like, I mean, single gunshot to the head should just kill you, versus the like like no, it should play by the rules of other you know mm -hmm. systems, and therefore there should be damage rolls. And then you end up with, well, my I guess my 10th level fighter can just take six direct hits from a cannon, and that's fine. <laughs> right. <You're> like, <"Really?"> right. <laughs> okay. All right. Seems weird. It's a real, it's a real uh it's it's a real uh fault line, right? It's a real fault yeah. line between between your expectations of those genres, and we everybody still debates that nowadays. The thing that I and of course, you know, this slice of conversion rules, it appears in this Boot Hill book. And then it basically appears, I almost copy pasted into the first edition DM's guide too. Um, and it's, it's under the, under the interesting heading when it, when it appears in the DM's guide, it says six guns in sorcery, how to convert your D and D characters to boot hill. And, you know, I use that for the subtitle of this episode, as a matter of fact. And uh, one of our patrons pointed out, there was a game that used that title, but like 1986, 1996, something like that. Right, called Six Guns and Sorcery, and I don't really know very much else about the book, but very sounds very, to me sounds very similar to Deadlands. Bringing in you're bringing in your Wild West mm. tropes and then yep. adding magical then supernatural adding. stuff. Yep, to yep. make to add to add spice. I mean, let's let's be honest, right? This is this is the origin of D and D. It was a historical medieval war game, and they were like, well, let's let's throw in some dragons and wizards. Good point. Good point. <laughs> so, so, that, so I'll apologize, but the thing that I that I must point out in the conversion rules, right? I don't know if you can go back to that. Yeah, sure. And this is this is so me, and I apologize to everybody for this. So, right in the middle there, it says distance and scale conversions, right? So, the Boot Hill scale in every edition, first edition, second edition, right? The Boot Hill scale was one inch is six feet, right? And we all know mm -hmm. classically the D and D indoor scale was one inch equals 10 feet. So Boot Hill, one inch equals six feet. D&D, one inch equals 10 feet. And then here it says distance and scale conversion. Boot Hill inches equal 
inches in D&D and AD&D. They are the same. (laughs) (laughs) Right? And and at least Dan's brain is like, oh, God, you're giving me this Lovecraftian non-Euclidean geometry bullshit. I mean, um, the text even then goes on to to <laughs> hammer down how boot hill inches are two yep. meters. Uh, in GW and MA, what is that referring to? Uh, Gamma World and Metamorphosis Alpha. There you go. Okay. Which yeah. are your early TSR, kind of, sort of, post-apocalyptic sci-fi-y D&D, very close to D&D yeah. games. Yeah. Um, uh, um, <laughs> So that's a that's a that's an axe I tend to like to grind is that is that you know D you know D and D coming out of Arson said that one one inch was ten feet but actually all the the immediately following games from TSR use this one inch equals six feet which matches the miniature scale is that's the scale they used for Warriors of Mars that's the scale used for Boot Hill and personally I feel that's kind of obviously what the scale should have been mm-hmm. and here's Gygax trying to trying to pretend that that was what the scale was all along to match the miniatures. Should have just, should have just fixed that in my opinion. Yeah. No. Well, can't, can't admit to having made a mistake. Right. Exactly. (laughs) But from now on, having noticed this recently, having noticed this recently, I I am going to go around and tell everybody officially the scale in D and D is one inch equals six feet because he wrote it more than once in two different books. He said the boot yeah. hill inches are equal to D and D inches. So as far as I'm concerned, they're six feet each. <laughs> problem, problem solved. I'm glad you all agree with me. <laughs> Excellent. 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 So I feel like as I think about modern, and I'm trying to think of like I'm trying to extrapolate now into mo- more modern gaming. And I feel like maybe the Wild West genre is not as popular these days as it was uh, back then. I agree, right? Yeah. 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 I'm trying to think of a, of a, of a, like what game came out in the last five years that has a Wild West theme and not coming up with any. That's a good question. Anybody in the chat have an example of that? Recent Wild West games? Yeah. I'm not, I'm kind of drawing a blank myself. Right. Um, right. Uh, I, I mean, I know that there's some, um, gosh, uh, you know, I'm thinking about uh, there's a story game um, that I remember hearing about that was popular when I was listening to the Durham 3 podcast, but even that's like a good 10 years old. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I guess, uh, you know, maybe it's just uh, just uh, not as popular as a setting in general in, in popular culture at the moment. Right. I think you're right. I, I have uh, uh, Mike D in the chat is is coming up with something. Uh, here it is. Um, a, a couple of people kind of orbited around this. I guess it's a game called Dead Man's Hand, which is a, a miniature skirmish game. Very similar to Boot mm-hmm. Hill is what it sounds like. I hadn't heard of that. So, Mike, thank you for that. Um, I know and that, then a couple uh, of people the, are pointing out computer games, right? Like Red Dead, yep, Red yep. Dead Redemption, stuff like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's also... Um, you know, if you look at the re- the recent reprinting uh, of um, Fiasco, there is a playset called Boomtown, uh, which, which emulates a, a Wild West setting. Um, yeah, yeah, but but you know, if you think back to when D and D was coming out in the mid seventies, of course, westerns were kind of in their heyday, right? Or or mm-hmm. maybe at the tail end of their heyday at that point. 
Um, That's a pretty good point, really, actually, but, right? Yeah. A lot of movies, a lot of, you know, Sergio Leone uh, spaghetti westerns at that time. That's a good yeah. point, actually. Yeah. 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 Fascinating. Yep. Now, I feel I should do a little bit of a payoff from the teaser that I had at the start of the show, actually, about the argument that maybe uh, Wild West games were actually the very first role-playing game. And okay. you know, some of us have been debating that in the chat, reasonably so. Um, you know, where is this point? You know, what was the first role-playing game? Well, there was this evolution from war games. And our friend, you know, John Peterson with his book calls this the elusive shift. It's hard to find exactly where, where it came. And part of it was, you know, playing and inhabiting one single role instead of an army or, or a battalion or something like that. That was that crept into the gaming. Um, one element was characters gaining experience and improving between sessions. And that's, you know, maybe the most important part, actually, possibly. So where did that first start? Um, and some people can point to Mike Carr's Fight in the Skies World War One game, right? It's a war game, but you're controlling one plane, and therefore you're also controlling one pilot, and therefore it was kind of obvious to start adding experience to your pilots from session to session. But big thanks to our patron, Josh, because he pointed to a, a blog post by our friend John Peterson that I did not know about before, is in 1970, uh, there was a game called Western Gunfight. Um, and so 1970, right? So this is four years before D&D mm -hmm. came out and written by uh, three guys there, Curtis, Colwell, and Black, who ironic to me, ironically, are from Bristol in the United Kingdom. And they were, they were really enthusiastic about American Wild West gaming. And so they uh, made this game here called the Western Gunfight War Game Rules. Again, years before the, the role-playing game term came up. So they present this as a war game. But in you know in they, the first edition you're looking at, they had a second edition come out a couple of years later. When they're writing about it, they were saying things like, "Now this is a this this is a new kind of thing, and you should be really thinking about inhabiting your one single fighter, which is kind of new." And and you know what? Even if it's disadvantageous in the rules, if your character is motivated to do a particular thing, you ought to make choices according to your character's mental state. Um, and in mm -hmm. fact, they them right, and they some themselves start to go. Now, some people might possibly complain that this isn't actually a war game anymore, but maybe yes, maybe no, and we don't know what it would be if it's not a war game. Um, so they themselves start debating over the fact that they don't have a term for this war gamey thing that's evolving into something else. So I thought that was, I thought that was a very interesting find by John Peterson. Big thanks to Josh for pointing that out. Yeah, 1974, yeah, four years never, before D&D. Never, yep. never heard of it. Now, where does that land? I'm gonna try to remember where, where, when does Brownstein, Brownstein happen? Uh, Good, around that, the that same time, right? Yeah, around. Um, right. I'm trying to find a date really quickly. Uh, October right, right. 1970, maybe, uh, 71, right. 70, 71, maybe. Yeah. So, so around the same time, right? Yeah. Yep. Fascinating. Yep. yep. And clearly, uh, we, we know that, uh, Gygax, uh, knew about this game because he was talking about it in a letter to, uh, Wargame, Wargamers newsletter at the time, actually. And this is actually the game where he said, geez, it would be nice if we could have 
uh, a list of historical figures in statistics for this game. And I really wish that we could play out the gunfight at the OK Corral. Um, and that is what you get in Boot Hill. <laughs> so, so it's a pretty clear, obvious inspiration for uh, the Boot Hill game and other role play type stuff. So you could possibly point at this and make an argument that that right there was the first actual role playing game before you had the word for it. Maybe I can see that. I mean, uh, amusingly, sorry. So, so Stephen Wendell is correcting me because that that Brown, Brownstein was in '69, which is absolutely right. Um, and and because okay. I, I know this because now I'm I'm looking at the the Wikipedia article because I was just trying to find the date. And the the funny thing, side note, uh, where I came up with October seventy, uh, is that um, is that uh, in 1970, Dwayne Jenkins uh, ran a series of Wild West Brownsteins called Brownstone. That was set in Brownstone, Texas. So that's amusing. <laughs> immediately there you go. Even if you even if you say that uh, Brownstein is the first RPG, like pretty much immediately we get the Wild West version after the fantasy version, right? Right. They were they were very they were very closely tied in. Um, yes. um, yeah. And uh, there's a there's a question here from uh, Jerry McDonald also pointing out to the price on the cover of Western Gunfight Rules, which is of course is in pence. Uh, and and you're right, Jerry. That was uh, that was English, right? The guys writing that were in Bristol, which I find surprising. But sometimes mm -hmm. you need a perspective outside the um, outside the culture to uh, to to actually get a really good uh, grip on a particular context, actually. And apparently that was. I mean, I don't know enough about currency. Apparently that was at a moment where they were converting from one type of pence to another type of pence in England. But that's that's beyond my numismatic knowledge. <laughs> 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 well, we're 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 close here to the end of time, Dan. So, uh, what uh, you got? Any final thoughts on Wild West role playing games? Uh, it, it's interesting that you know some people say that you know, a game like D and D is largely Wild West plot tropes with more stuff skinned around it, and uh, you can point to things like the recent uh, you know Star Wars series on Disney by uh, John Favreau, right? Um, very, very uh, Wild West feel to it. Very Wild West plots, um, and a lot, you know, if you if you once you do get out of the dungeon, it's quite likely that uh, your your the plots that the DM makes might possibly have a feel of of Wild West type. You know, wep weapons, uh, people with weapons on their own, independent in some kind of wilderness area. Uh, has a very has a very closely tied legacy, tied right at the hip, right from the beginning of uh, yeah. of role playing games in D anD. d Interesting that you know Don K was such uh, a motivating force for that kind of thing at the time, um, and and I and for me, I, I I think it's interesting how how really closely were we were to having roll low mechanics as the basis. Mm -hmm for our games is, you know, D&D &D has roll high on a D20 for attacks, but most everything else in the game is roll low on a D6. So finding secret doors and opening doors and listening to things, most everything else is actually a roll low mechanic. And uh, a game like Boot Hill, you know, that has a roll low percentile mechanic in some ways, it's actually a little bit more elegant to be able to say, you have a 60% chance of success at this 
and then roll low on percentile dice. And uh, there are some days when I, I actually kind of wish that the D&D system used that scale and used that mechanic, actually, because some days I actually feel it's a little bit more elegant. Hmm. How about you, Paul? What is, right. What's your, what's your Dan, take? Dan's, on Dan's arguments for, for, for roll low. Yeah, and fascinating. I don't know. Um, Have you not read my blog, people? Have you not read my blog on this issue? I clearly put the issue to rest. <laughs> uh, you know, after a conversation, my brain is still spinning on sort of like where the intersection like, how do I take all of the lessons I've learned from digging into old school D&D and apply those to a Wild West game? Because I haven't played a Wild West game since the early 90s when uh, I was playing a very different style of game. Uh, I'm, I'm very actually intrigued now by the idea of how do I, say, take something like Outdoor Spoliation and adapt that into a Wild West game? Can I play Deadlands on the Outdoor Survival Board? I think that would actually be super fun. Like play a very sandbox style Wild West game, but still with the trope of your group as a team trying to figure out the big mystery that's going on here. Um, and, and frankly, I, I think that's very easily solvable by doing something that I simply never would have crossed uh, my mind back in the 90s, which is just say that to the players. Just say, we're playing a game where you guys are working as a team to solve a big mystery. The end... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, there was a point where I think for our play group where I kind of smacked myself on the head. It's like, why, why haven't, why did we not ever realize that we needed to say that out loud? Because <laughs> I don't know, man. It's just role play. It's just play your character. We're just gonna. <laughs> my character wouldn't do that, though, Paul. My character would not do that. I'm just playing my character. <laughs> oh god <laughs> all right things we never need to hear again yeah yeah <laughs> uh viewers if uh if you if, if you know of any wild west games that we missed uh are there uh, arguments for or against what, how it might have been the first or second ever rpg um or uh other uh, you know modern Wild West game, because that was a kind of a question that came up that we just sort of uh, blanked on. The, by the way, the one I uh, came up with, the one I was thinking of earlier, it was Dogs in the Vineyard. Uh, that's 2004. Oh. That's how old that one is. Um, if you have a Wild West game that's a much more modern Wild West game, uh, post, uh, give us, leave us a comment here in the in the YouTube video. Tell us, uh, tell us what we missed, and um, maybe we'll return to the Wild West topic in the future. Yeah, and, and if you're maybe some comments, if you're pro decimal or you're pro base 12, um, we would like to hear that as well, or at least I would. And of course, remember that you can like, follow, and subscribe to us, The Wandering DMs. We're on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, GitHub, TikTok, and we do have the handle Wandering DMs on all those sites. So look for us there and updates on upcoming shows. If you prefer to listen to the show in audio only podcast format, you can find those podcasts on our website at wanderingdms.com or through various podcast carriers such as iTunes, Spotify, uh, Google Podcast. If you're listening to this show right now on one of those sites, please take a moment to rate and review us there. That helps other users of that site find us, and we really appreciate it. We really do. And of course, uh, big thanks to our patrons who support the show. Uh, give us ideas uh, for topics like today, 
uh, tell us about games we didn't even know about, like uh, Western gunfights uh, or other stuff that came up today. Um, and if you'd like to join our patrons uh, and their generous support, please visit patreon.com slash wandering games. You'll see our different tiers, different benefits you get, in particular, access to our Discord server, where we always have monthly behind-the-scenes chat ongoing about all of our shows and all of our different games. And in particular, right after our Sunday show, we have a continuing conversation on video on Discord. So we hope that you'll uh, join us and uh, we'll get to see your face when we continue the conversation in about 10 minutes. Yeah, I'm sure there's going to be some very interesting stuff uh, on that on that discussion today. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of ideas percolating uh, for games that I don't have time to run. But <laughs> yeah, definitely, you know, pitch a dollar into the into the Patreon uh, or five if you uh, if you really like us, and um, you know, come jo- come join us. It's it's a good time. It's a good conversation at the end of uh, end of the show every day on Sunday or every week on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, uh, upcoming shows this week, uh, I'll be uh, shifting to Thursdays for my Dan plays games from the Elder Times. Uh, streaming PC games live, and I think this week I'm going to start digging into one of the AD&D Gold Box games that I've never actually played before. So you're going to see, as if the last game wasn't hard enough, as if my troubles <laughs> with Dungeon Hack wasn't bad enough, now I'm actually going to start banging my head live in public on a game that I've never played before. So please tune in and help me. Uh, I'm probably going to need it Thursday night at 11. But the thing I really want to point out is that I'm personally very excited about the guests that we're going to be having uh, next week, which will be Sunday, May uh, 29th, uh, we're going to have Kieran Gillen, who is one of my favorite comic book authors working today. And Kieran has been the author of comic books like Warhammer, and he's written the X-Men and Thor and the Eternals. And uh, he just recently wrapped up his 20-issue series called Die, uh, which occurs in a fantasy world. It's very gaming-related, and uh, Kieran felt compelled to make a custom role-playing game called Die that feeds into that uh, comic book series. And I know he's been working on it for a couple of years, actually. That's going to be released pretty soon, and I'm personally really looking forward to speaking with Kieran Gillen next week about his Die role-playing game. Awesome. Please join us. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so that's that's next week. And of course, we are live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So please, please join us again next week for another thought-provoking discussion. We'll see you then.